1 Kings 19. Elijah's despair and God's grace is what we're looking at. So we've been doing some scenes from 1 and 2 Kings, and we are kind of winding down our time uh, as we look at these Old Testament books. But this is one that is going to be very important for all of us to have digested this particular scene in 1 Kings 19. So let's open our Bibles there. Uh, just a reminder as you're opening your Bible, if you have questions about Harvest Fest, how to serve, you know, what we need, there's going to be a, a table out in the courtyard and you can find out whatever you'd like to know about the outreach and how you can get involved. So just a reminder there. 1 Kings chapter 19 opens this way. Now, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, 1 Kings 19, 1, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. <laughs> Father, we look at this particular text and we are going to see Elijah hit a bit of a low, a, a real low, actually, a, a tailspin. Uh, he's burnt out, depressed. And it, it's kind of almost shocking when you see right uh, how this follows what happened in the previous chapter. But it is really the reality of all of our lives that we, we're, we go up and down. We, we can be on spiritual highs and spiritual lows, emotional highs, emotional lows. Um, this, this world is a hard place often to navigate. And it is very hard when you're on the spiritual front lines as well. And so I pray that we would find encouragement and insight in this text to apply to our lives and hear what the Spirit would say to us in this very hour. So Lord, we lay the time at your feet. May you be glorified in both the teaching and the receiving and hearing of your word and us acting upon it. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you say? Amen. Now, what has happened in 1 Kings 18 is that Elijah has essentially won the spiritual Super Bowl, and he was the MVP next to God. He has called his nation back to repentance in 1 Kings 18, 21, and he said famously to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And the people did not answer him a word. And then that famous contest ensued where the prophets of Baal faced off against Elijah and Elijah was standing essentially alone. Maybe he had a few helpers with him, a few other servants or school of the prophets kind of guys, but he's essentially alone. It's Elijah versus the world, you could say, up on Mount Carmel. And you know what happens. The God that answers by fire, he is God. And the prophets of Baal cry out to Baal from the morning until the midday and nothing. And a little divine sarcasm comes from Elijah. Maybe your God's on vacation, etc. And then he simply prays a prayer that would take no more than 30 seconds. Oh Lord, answer. Call this people back to yourself is essentially his prayer. Bring their hearts back. Bring this nation back. And the Lord mightily answers by fire. He consumes the sacrifice, even licks up the extra water around the sacrifice, and God answers by fire, and the people respond, and they say, the Lord, he is God, or we might say it this way, Yahweh, he is God. 
What a great victory, amen? I mean, that's a mountaintop experience. It's like, you know, the, the person that wins uh, Wimbledon or the World Series or the Super Bowl and the reporter inevitably comes up, okay, you've won the Super Bowl. What are you gonna do now? And they normally say, I'm going to Disney World. What a bummer. I mean, if you're a kid, that's exciting. If you're an adult, mm, mm, that's a line. I'm doing a line right now. <laughs> I'll take a cheeseburger. Oh, that'll be $39.99, you know. Anyway. So Elijah is coming off this incredible spiritual high and uh, he has been used mightily by the Lord, but there's always the what now, the day after. The day after the retreat when you go up the mountain and you're driving down the hill. The day after the church service. The day after the Lord used you to bring a friend to Christ. Or maybe you, for the first time, saw some incredible insights from the scripture and it you know, kind of bolstered your faith. And that's always exciting, but there's always the time after. I would imagine that Elijah was thinking something like this. The people were probably going to have a great revival now. Ahab had listened to Elijah to, to go eat and drink. He had obeyed Elijah. Maybe Ahab's going to go back to the palace. He's going to end his marriage with Jezebel since he shouldn't have married her in the first place. Excommunicator from the kingdom. Knock down the uh, palace built to Baal. Knock down the high places to Baal and the Asherah. But none of that. It doesn't happen. And when our expectations are not met after perhaps a great spiritual victory, now we'll have a revival. Now this, now that. It could be disappointing. And rather than Ahab doing something positive, he went and tattled on Elijah. He went home to his wife and he said, this is what Elijah has done. And 450 of the prophets of Baal were killed. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah she essentially said, there's a hit on you. You're dead within 24 hours. May the gods do worse to me if you're not dead within 24 hours. A hit is put on Elijah, if you will. And now, we, what would we expect? If you didn't have verse three in front of you and you knew Elijah's history, what would you expect that Elijah might do? Oh, yeah? Let me tell you something, Jezebel. <laughs> right? May the, may the Lord God deal with you. You, you know, maybe uh, fire would come down from heaven again or something like that. But that's not what happens. What happens is something shocking. There's the threat, and Elijah was afraid, verse 3, and he arose and he ran for his life. What has happened to our mighty prophet? That hairy prophet, Right? with the big old Western belt, you know, some of those things we kind of joked about about Elijah. The, God who's, the guy whose name means my God is Yahweh. The guy who stood against his generation, stood against the prophets of Baal. What happened? A woman tells him, I'm gonna kill you, and he runs like a little coward? Is this the same guy? But haven't we all been there before? where we've been used mightily by God and then all of a sudden it doesn't take much. We think of that fateful night when you know, Peter had said to the Lord, though all forsake you, I won't deny you. And then on that night before the rooster crowed, he three times said, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know. I don't know that man. And they passed in the courtyard 
And remember, the rooster crowed and Peter wept bitterly. And the first question came from a servant girl. You're one of them, aren't you? No, 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 no. From a height of a spiritual moment, Peter getting that revelation that Jesus is the Christ in Matthew 16 to the depths of sorrow where we see how fickle and how weak we can be. And I think we all can resonate with that because we've all been there. And this was no idle threat from Jezebel. She had killed the Lord's prophets as we learned earlier in the book of 1 Kings. She was willing to back up her words and Elijah was afraid and he ran And he came to a place called Beersheba. That's verse three. When uh, you read your Bible, you'll see the phrase from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was the the extreme limits of Israel in the north, the tribe of Dan up near Syria. And Beersheba was the extreme limits to the south. So we're talking now going all the way down to the area of Judah. And so now he takes off does Elijah, and he goes all the way to the southern extremity of the nation or the boundaries of the nation, which belonged to Judah. And there he left his servant. So he said his goodbyes to the man that was with him, a servant of Elijah. He did a forest gump, if you will, from northern Israel to southern Israel. And there he said goodbye to his servant, and he himself went a day's journey extra. Notice And then this phrase, into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. Some of the versions say a broom tree. And there is Elijah. All alone. You know, sometimes when sports, uh, when a team sweeps another team, we call it a clean sweep and people get the brooms out. And there's Elijah under the broom tree. He's done. Swept. Toast. Burned out all alone, sitting there. The phrase into the wilderness is something I want you to highlight because it's a phrase used in the book of Exodus for the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And it's used in Mark chapter one. Just write this down. Mark 1, 12 and 13 says, immediately the spirit impelled Jesus to go out into the wilderness. There's our phrase. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan And he was with the wild beast and the angels were ministering to him. Now, when Jesus was, if you will, compelled by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness, scholars have pointed out that Jesus is retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel, how they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But where they failed, he's succeeding. Where they gave into the temptations of the flesh and the the enemy, Jesus fought that temptation. But think about what has happened. And if you read Mark 1, the verses just before what I read, a great spiritual high happens. Jesus goes to the Jordan, tells John to baptize him. The heavens open and a voice comes. This is my beloved son. Remember, with him I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And Jesus came out of the water and was going to begin his public ministry, affirmed by the Father in heaven, a great and glorious moment. And right after the spiritual high, if you will, where does he go? Right into the wilderness to face the enemy. Now, if you've read about Jesus' temptation, and most of you have, you know what happens. The first thing the enemy does, he's not eaten for 40 days, 40 nights. The enemy says, hey, if you're the son of God, or since you're the son of God, turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread. 
And Jesus, what does he do? He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And with each of the three temptations, Jesus uses scripture, giving us a lesson about temptation to deal with the enemy. And finally, the enemy flees from him as he's out in the wilderness for this stretch of time. Well, here is Elijah in the wilderness, beat up right after a spiritual high, now a spiritual low, a death threat on his head. We might say, well, I don't have a Jezebel after me, but brethren, we are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy. And we, we have a spiritual battle going on that we, oftentimes when we're on the front lines, we feel it even hotter. And we've got to be aware that we have an enemy. And we put on armor given to us from God. One of those pieces is a belt of truth. So we use the word of God. We use the sword of the spirit to fight off, to fend that stuff off. And when we are tired, when we are physically tired, we are spiritually vulnerable. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down. We are physically tired. We are spiritually vulnerable. I was halfway down the hill from the men's retreat. It was an awesome time. I felt like the Lord blessed in so many ways. Halfway down the hill, I felt like I got just an onslaught of attack. In my mind, I was tired. I mean, it just came like a wave. And I found myself trying to quote scripture in my car and make it home. And you know how when you go away, you don't really sleep well. And the combination of that and the spiritual stuff that was going on. And that's, I'm sure, how Elijah felt. He was a target. I want you to imagine for a second the target of spiritual opposition that must have come Elijah's way as he stood against demonic forces behind Baalism. The prophets of Baal, oh, they were nothing, but if they had any power at all, they had demonic power. Not greater than the power of God, obviously. But Elijah was that target. He was the man, the singular figure, if you will, standing against all the wave of apostasy and compromise. And that's, a, that's not an easy place to be. And when you find the strength of God for moments like that, it is awesome and it is wonderful. But there's always the time after. Preachers will tell you it's the Monday morning uh, blues. Usually they say, you know, you should do something maybe where you don't have to think like mow your lawn or in my case, play golf and, and add more misery to your life. I have no idea why I do that, but anyway. And so here's Elijah. This is how low he's gotten. Verse four, he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it's enough. We might say it this way. Enough is enough. I'm done. Now, oh Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my father's. Now, there's an insight in verse four that I want you to see. Did Elijah think he was better than his fathers? Was there a little bit of spiritual pride going on? Later, he'll tell the Lord, I'm the only one left. And the Lord is gonna correct him and say, no, you're not. But Elijah, perhaps he had been comparing himself to former fathers. 
maybe to Abraham or Jacob or others. And, and there had been some significant failures in times past. Maybe Elijah thought he was better. But now in this time of spiritual low, he says, I'm no better. But was that a little bit of spiritual pride? Was that maybe a little bit of an overestimation of how important he thought he was? We've got to be careful. And let me just say a word right here. Sometimes, because of our humanity, we might elevate ourselves beyond our own individual importance. God's been running the universe very well without us. Amen? Now, he has chosen to use us, and that's a beautiful grace of God. But we've got to be sober estimation of ourselves so that we don't think too highly, but we also don't want to beat ourselves up and think too low. And so maybe that's part of what was going on here. And when Elijah, you know, hit the skids, when, when he got to this low mega burnout place, maybe that was part of what was going on here. And he said, it's enough. I, I'm done. By the way, if Elijah wanted to die, why did he run for his life? You ever, you ever been there before? I just want to die. Pass the cinnamon rolls. <laughs> you know. We got, we got to be careful, right? But Elijah isn't the only one who served the Lord who felt like they wanted to die. Just think of some major Bible characters. Moses told God, kill me right now. Numbers eleven fifteen. Job wished that he would have never been born, Job 10, 18, and 19. Jeremiah cursed the day of his birth, Jeremiah 20, verse 14. Jonah asked God to take away his life because death was better than life, Jonah 4, verse 3. These men longed for death, says one writer, but they didn't actually take their lives. Instead, God sustained and restored them. But they were all at low points, and ironically, Elijah never does die. <laughs> He's actually taken up to heaven without experiencing death. He doesn't even die. So the Lord isn't going to honor that, obviously, but this has been called by many scholars the dark night of the soul. Uh, it's been categorized, and I think this is a, probably a fair way to say it, as spiritual depression. And I want you to let that sink in for a second. It's possible to be spiritually depressed. It's possible to get at a low point. Um, Spurgeon, who's the, known as the Prince of Preachers, and he's a hero of many, many people who read his work and, are, and just marvel at his insights into Scripture. Uh, Spurgeon told his students, these words. He says, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. In the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor used mightily by God, he said these words, very important, listen to this. He said, we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves, close quote. 
I want you to see the distinction here. When you listen to yourself, typically, if you're like most people, a negative voice will emerge from somewhere within. And it could be the enemy sometimes, but oftentimes it's just our own negative voice. And it could come in a number of different ways. And rather than listening to that voice, we have to speak to that voice with the word of God. Sometimes we can summarize verses or quote them directly, just like Jesus did. No, I am a forgiven man or woman. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. I'm purchased by the blood. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've got to use your greater gospel voice to silence that negative voice. Amen? Now this is a real part of the battle because you all know we talk to ourselves. Amen? Now you can have healthy self-talk or negative self-talk. Now you're going to have a little bit of both. And by the way, now you can get away more with talking to yourself because people think you're on the phone. So just put one of those earpieces in and you can go all day long. Nobody will think you're nuts. They used to think that, but now, Anyway. The dark night of the soul can be answered in many scriptures, but here's one of them. 2 Corinthians 7, 6 says, God who comforts the depressed, 2 Corinthians 7, 6, comforted us by the coming of Titus. The Bible acknowledges that we're going to hit some lows. We're going to have some difficulty. The apostle Paul wrote that. He also wrote, be anxious for nothing in another place and to pray and worship. But here he says, we were depressed and God comforted us. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Amen. So Elijah wants to die and he lays down, verse 5, and he slept under that broom tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. This is where touched by an angel came from. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. But and he said to him, arise, eat. So Look, he, he, his, one of his main needs was sleep. I don't know how long it had been since he slept or had a good meal. With all the opposition, confrontation, prayer, waiting on the Lord, he needed to sleep. And he slept under that tree, I'm sure for a while. And then an angel comes and says, get up, eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake. This, these are angel food pancakes right here. <laughs> Bottle of maple syrup. No, it doesn't say that. But it was baked on hot stones and a jar of water was there. And so he ate and drank and he lay down again. Praise the Lord. How many of you enjoy that? How many of you live on the snooze? How many of you have 14 different snooze alarms that you set? Okay. Or maybe you've come to that point. You know what I'm going to do now? Rather than hitting the snooze, I'm going to put my phone far enough away that when it goes off, I must get up. If you have a teenager in the house, this is what will happen. It's coming from the next room. They don't hear it. Now it's for you. Anyway, we could talk about that for a while. but So I want you to see there's nothing wrong with him laying down again. This is what he needs. He needed some rest. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was not preaching here and I texted some of our team and I said, I won't be there tonight. I'm going to rest. 
Now, normally when I say something like that, there's this tinge of guilt that hits me. Anybody else? What do you mean, you're gonna rest? Yeah, like, you know, that biblical thing, that Sabbath day, you know, that, that thing that God put into the, the rhythm of the nation of Israel and the rhythm of the universe, rest, one, you know, that thing, you know, sleep. Yeah, you have to rest. You've got to get some physical rest because if you don't, you won't be good for yourself or to anybody else. You've got to allow yourself to rest. And when you're resting, to rest. Amen? If you don't, you are going to burn out. So there's got to be something in your schedule that allows you to rest. Brian Regan is a wonderful, clean comedian. And he, he was talking about reading the box of uh, Pop-Tarts, the instructions. He goes, there are instructions there. He says, if you want to toast a Pop-Tart, it tells you to Toast it for a minute, all right? And he said, if you, if you don't take that option, it says put the Pop-Tart in the microwave for three seconds. <laughs> ding, ding, ding! <laughs> he said, look, if you need to microwave your Pop-Tart, you may want to loosen up your schedule. <laughs> Amen. I mean, if you can't wait for the thing to toast for a minute, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> you may want to loosen up your schedule. So here is Elijah, and I love that the Lord lets him rest, lets him nourish little angel food hotcakes. These are all provisions of God. And the angel of the Lord, notice a little different wording now, First it was an angel, now the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Get up, sleepyhead. So he arose and ate and drank, notice, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. That's going to sound familiar to many of you. That's the time Jesus was in the wilderness, the time Moses was up on Mount Sinai. And so he arose and he went to Horeb. Guess what? That's Mount Sinai. That's another name for Sinai. And he headed to the mountain of God. Now, all of a sudden, he gets this second helping of food. J. Vernon McGee believes that that's the second appearance uh, of the angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament. I'll leave that for your own consideration. But here's what McGee talked about. He said, do you remember when Jesus was on the seashore in John 21 and the disciples were out fishing. And he said famously, have you caught anything? <laughs> My answer is always, no. No, fish and me do not cooperate together. No. So when they came in, the Lord had breakfast prepared for him. Come have some breakfast. And he had some fish, etc., and I believe some bread. And after they were there and had a meal together, Jesus turned to Peter and said three times, Peter, you remember? Do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times he asked the same question. What was going on there? Well, there was a moment of nourishment by the Lord and then a re-putting uh, Peter back into the ministry, if you will, restoring him, refreshing him, but with a question, do you love me? And then 
He said, okay, yes, I do. Hear the words. Then feed my sheep. Yes, you're going to need this restoration. Yes, you need this moment, but you now go get back in the game. Peter had failed. You can imagine what his thoughts were. Will I ever be usable again? Well, you know, is there any hope? I mean, I blew it. I, I, told, I said to his face, I'll never forsake you. And then I, I couldn't even stand in front of a servant girl. How could someone, how could someone like me be, ever be used again? But that's the Lord. And so Elijah now moves further into the wilderness, all the way to the Sinai area. And he came to a cave nine and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him. Now, I want you to see the order. First, rest, spiritual provision, and now an exhortation. What are you doing here, Elijah? And sometimes we have to hear that, right? Sometimes that's a geographic place that we're there. And the question is why? Sometimes it's a place we are spiritually, emotionally. What? What are you doing here? And the, the question just sits. What are you doing here? And Elijah said, I, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, verse 10, the, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Now, it was only Jezebel, but you can see where it's being magnified to take it away. The whole world's going to hell in the handbasket. Lord, there's no other Christians around, no other zealous believers around. I'm the only one. Sounds like Tigger. (laughs) I'm the only one. (laughs) And sometimes when we're at moments like that, we take reality and magnify it. There's no other serious Christians in the world anymore. We're the only ones. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's not true. God has people everywhere. There's spiritual revivals breaking out all over the planet in unexpected places like Iran and China. There have been some positive things that have gone on, like a Supreme Court ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's pretty good. But if you watch a little bit of television, you might conclude that we're all done. (laughs) There's nobody left. Let's be careful. While we do live at a very tough time, especially in our nation, there have been other tough times in history where those generations thought it's got to end now because it's all over. There's nobody left. And we've got to be careful, brethren, While I am always on the alert for the second coming of Jesus Christ and pray that he comes in our lifetime, let's be careful that we don't go down these rabbit holes of negativity where we become hopeless people because hopeless, joyless Christians aren't going to draw anybody into the kingdom. We're just going to walk around and say, nobody left. Nobody's left. (laughs) No, there's a lot of believers left. And while we need wisdom for the day and we need to be paying attention to our Bibles, we also should be a hopeful people. Think about what our uh, previous generations of believers endured in some places in the first century and beyond. 
Now, I'm not saying we, we, we better be voting. We better be praying for revival. We better be active as we can be. I just preached a message to you about, you know, we need to get over being double-minded and all of that, but we also need to be balanced. So the response is, go forth, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by. Now, here's Elijah on Sinai. You can't help but think of the link to Moses. We just studied this on Wednesday night, ironically. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking the, in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Radical uh, theophany, you could say. But the Lord wasn't in the strong wind or the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake and the earth was shaking under Elijah's feet, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, Elijah was used to that fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. When Moses is up on Sinai and he's been spending time with God, he requests something special of the Lord. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Exodus 33, I think it's verse 18. And the Lord says to Moses, you can't see my face and live, but I will, you can go stand on the rock and I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by you and cover you with my hand so you don't peek and die, right? And you will see my back using human terms to explain divine realities. You will see the afterglow as I pass by, but you won't see my face. And this unfolds in Exodus 34. And when the Lord passes by Moses, this is a verse you want to turn to. Turn to the second book of your Bible, just quickly. Exodus 34. We're actually going to study this in an upcoming Wednesday night. This is what it says, and it's beautiful. And I believe that there is an undeniable link. The Lord descends in the cloud, Exodus 34, 5. He stood there with Moses as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, Exodus 34, 6, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. What is he? Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Back to 1 Kings 19. The Lord said, I'm gonna pass by and proclaim my name to you, Moses. And you know what God's name is all about? Goodness, compassion, grace, loving kindness, abounding. All the things that Elijah needed at this moment were right there in the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the strong wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Sometimes God's fire, if you will, falls on a, a service or a moment of our lives, and it's wonderful. But God's also in the quiet moments, even in the moments of our weakness. And after the fire, 1 Kings 19, 12, came a, a, the sound of a gentle blowing. This is a unique phrase, only found a few times in the Bible. It's kind of like the idea of a soft whisper. This is where actually, for those of you that have been around for a while, where we get the idea of a still, small voice. And that's how the King James, New King James, and Revised Standard render this, a still, small voice. What is going on here? Well, the Lord, in a quiet way, Elijah had experienced the power of God's fire. Now, in a moment of his own personal low, God comes gently 
and whispers to him, maybe something like this, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, full of mercy and loving kindness. Maybe that's the link on Sinai to Moses. You know, I've had, you've had many incredible times in corporate worship or seeing the Lord move in mighty power. But have you ever heard that still small voice at a low point in your life say to you, you're okay. I know where you're at. And I'm gracious. And I am compassionate. And I am full of mercy. And I abound in loving kindness. And I will love you through the low. As much as I loved you at the high moment, I will love you through the low. And some of us need to accept that and say, okay, if, if, he, if the gentle whisper is part of this equation, then I will rejoice in that as well. God can be seen in the tempest, but he can also be seen in the total, this is one writer putting it this way, the total yet audible stillness. In the moments of biblical meditation, in the moments of prayer in my closet, in the moments of, Lord, what now? There is that reassurance. Psalm 99 puts it this way. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those are the things that come to my heart at moments like that. Standing on the word of God, standing on the promises. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 9, 9 and 10. And so it came about as we wind down that Elijah heard it. What he heard, we don't know if we're looking back on the whisper or ahead. I'll let you consider that. And he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, here's the second time. What are you doing here, Elijah? When uh, Jesus sent the apostles into the boat in that famous scene of the storm, they were, the wind was contrary to them and it was whipping and in their face and they rode into the deep morning hours and he was up on the mountain praying. And he came to them walking on the sea, Mark chapter six. And when he came up to the boat, they thought it was a spirit. It's a ghost. And then they realized who it was and it says that he was going to pass by them. Hi, boys. <laughs> Good luck. What does that mean? Pass by them. Well, do you know that scholars link Mark 6 to Exodus 34 and 1 Kings 19 and wrap it in a bow as if to say what Jesus was doing was linking himself with Yahweh. And when they realize who it is, he says these famous words, it is I, take courage, don't be afraid. And then he calmed the sea. This is our God. And so Elijah in verse 14 repeats the same thing. What are you doing here? Well, I've been very zealous for the Lord, 14. But the, the, the God of hosts, uh, 14, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down uh, your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they seek my life. It's almost like um, he hit replay on the, the thing he told the Lord. 
You know, the Lord does not need to be updated on current events by us. Oh, by the way, if you didn't hear me the first time, here's what's happening in Israel. It's falling apart. It's abysmal. They've torn down your altars, forsaken your covenant. And the Lord just goes, okay, get it off your chest. <laughs> I think it's probably more for us than anything else, right? Okay, do you need to say it again? Go ahead. They've torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. So how does this all get solved, you may ask? We'll read the final verses. You'll see what happens now. So the Lord says to him, go and return. Get back in the game. On your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazazel king of, over Aram. That's Syria. So now he's back on mission, which we need to do after moments like this. He's told to anoint the king of Israel in 16. And then a little bit more in verse 17 about these kings and responses and what's supposed to happen here. A mention of Elisha at the end of 17. He mentions the 7,000 that he's, he has in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He will keep a remnant for himself. Every mouth that has not kissed Baal or worshiped him. There is a remnant. You're not alone. Get back in the game. And so he departed from there and found Elisha. Now here's a friend, a co-laborer, a servant, a successor. He was the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing. And so now Elijah passes over to him. Look at 19, middle of the verse. Threw his mantle on him. You're not alone. There are others faithful to the Lord. Elisha was faithful all along. Elijah maybe just didn't know or didn't remember. And so then Elisha leaves uh, his family. And the very end of the account says, Elisha arose, followed Elijah, and what does your Bible say? And ministered to him. And Elijah was restored after the low. We ask the question, what happens after the spiritual high? Sometimes we can hit a spiritual low. But there's something after the low, and it's getting back into the game, back to be usable for the Lord. Finding out you can still touch others. There's other people standing with you. You're not alone. Other people will take the mantle. Ministry is done in community. If you've been trying to be a solo Christian, I'm talking now perhaps to some out there in our uh, live stream, and some of you need it, but others of you have gotten used to it, and it's become now your church, and you need community. We need to be together, amen? Amen. Well, Father, as we uh, have some final moments here to take communion and do a last song, we want to give you praise for this account of Elijah. And for those who are serving communion, you can start to hand it out. And Father, I just pray that as we come to the great provision of Christ, the table reminding us of the bread of God, the blood of Christ, the living waters, the power of the resurrection, the power of the second coming. All of these realities would refresh your people like you did with Elijah, with the bread and the water. And we would go in the strength of this food uh, as long as we need to, Lord. And for many of us, it won't be 40 days and 40 nights. It might just be 40 minutes or 40 hours.
But we need to come back to the manna again and again and again. We, we need to stay in our Bibles or we will become weak. So Lord, as we come to your table now, everyone who knows you is invited to that table to focus on the gospel, get refreshed, get nourished. These represent spiritual realities. Keep your heart bowed. If you're not a Christian, you need to know the Lord. He came into this crazy world to die for you. He suffered in your place. He rose from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father. He will save you, but you must repent and come to him right now. Don't wait. Trust in him. He is good. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He is love. But he's also just. And he will judge sin. So it is important now to repent and trust him. If you have been running away or maybe you've been at a spiritual low, just ask him to touch you right now, to refresh you. He will. He is faithful.